Welcome to the JACCP podcast. My name is Robert Parker, and I'm professor at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center College of Pharmacy, and also serve as associate editor for the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today, we're talking with Dr. Dan Witt about his team's recent publication in the December 2023 issue of JACCP titled, A Qualitative Study Evaluating Provider Perceptions of implementing warfarin patient self-management in the United States healthcare system. Dr. Witt is professor and chair of the Department of Pharmacotherapy at the University of Utah College of Pharmacy. Dan, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm very uh, happy to be here to talk to you about the study today. Well, great. Let's go ahead and get started then. Um, First off, given the growing interest in patient self-care and digital health technology, your paper is very interesting and timely. Can you describe the purpose of your project and how your group decided to undertake it? You bet. This is uh, something that I am uh, have grown in passion for through the years. Uh, I think I've, I've had sort of an evolving journey of uh, my opinions and thoughts about patient self-management of warfarin. But we got a call for uh, grant proposals where they were looking for evidence-based interventions that are not optimally implemented within the United States healthcare system. And so as my colleagues here at the University of Utah and I were looking at this, we really felt like that patient self-management of warfarin would be a nice fit for this. And we can talk a little bit more about some of the other reasons underlying this as we, as we progress here. But that was one of the main things that got us interested in this topic. So to give our listeners a little bit of background, can you provide us a brief overview of warfarin patient self-monitoring and its current status in the U.S.? Of course. So there's really three basic ways that a patient can have their INR monitored when they're taking warfarin. By far and away, the most common method is what I would term clinic-based management. And so that's when a patient goes to a clinic could be to the laboratory, could be to a a visit with an actual provider. And in many cases, these are pharmacists that are doing these visits. And they get an INR measured, could be from a blood uh, draw out of their arm, or most commonly, I think it's done by a finger stick and using a portable INR monitor. And then that result is interpreted by a clinician and instructions are given to the uh, patient about what they need to do with their warfarin dose, if anything and when they should come back for their next INR test. So that's clinic-based management. Then there's patient self-testing. And this is when the patient actually owns or has access to their own portable INR monitor, and they'll test their blood at home and get their INR result. But then that result is transmitted to a clinician for interpretation and instructions are given oftentimes via phone. and then the patient is told what to do. And then the third one is patient self-management. And that's when the patient gets their own INR result, most commonly with the portable INR machine. They interpret the result, they decide what they're gonna do with their warfarin dose, and when they're gonna retest their INR result. Oftentimes, they're using some patient decision support material, that has been provided by their uh, provider. But in some cases, they've just 
sort of been on war for long enough that they've figured out what the routine is, but they're making independent decisions about their INR dose, or sorry, their warfarin dose, and what their uh, next INR is going to be. Now, if we look over in Europe, and particularly in Germany, this is something that's relatively common. Um, way bigger proportion of the people in European countries are doing patient self-management than patients here in the United States. And so I would term patient self-management and even patient self-testing to some extent to be vastly underutilized within the U.S. healthcare market. And so that was one of the things that we were interested in trying to figure out why that is. Right. Thank you. Um, please tell the listeners a little bit about how your team conducted the study. We took a little bit of a novel approach to this. We learned a lot of cool things during the pandemic about how to use uh, Zoom and other types of platforms to uh, communicate. So this was a qualitative study. So we didn't, what we were really trying to understand is the opinions and feelings of providers within the U.S. healthcare system about patient self-management of warfarin. So we took a, an approach that we were going to do focus groups, and we identified some sites uh, that are all categorized as anticoagulation forum centers of excellence. And this is a this is a program whereby people take an assessment and have verified that the care that's being given with anticoagulation therapy at their center meets top-notch standards. So these are providers that are really operating at a high level of anticoagulation management. And we did focus groups. So people would sign on to a Zoom call. As soon as they got on, we would have them change their screen name. We would pick favorite birds or favorite sandwiches or some other thing. So, you know, you'd be talking to Starling or Blue Jay or somebody else. So we didn't know who was who was actually uh, participating. There was some degree of anonymity there. And then we took a somewhat interesting approach is that we didn't actually talk verbally during the, the session. We had them type all of their answers into the chat. And so we would put the uh, questions that we were interested in asking up on the, the screen. And then participants would just type their responses. And that we could ask follow-up questions. They could respond to other people that were in the chat. Um, but one of the reasons why we did it this way is with qualitative research, one of the things you need to do is get a verbatim transcript of the call. And so this was just a really convenient way for um, people to, for us to get the transcript down. So the actual chat served as the transcript for the session at the end, which we did the analysis on. So we conducted several of these um, sessions um, with numbers of people ranging from two or three up to five or six. Um, and then we took all these transcripts and we loaded them into a program called Atlas TI, which helped us uh, do our code book. So we went line by line through all of the transcripts and identified ideas and thoughts that we thought were similar and created a code book. And then we went through and used those to come up with our predominating themes, um, which we can talk a little bit more about. But that was, that was a general overview of how we did this study. Very interesting approach. Could you summarize the key findings from your project? Of course. So 
we really boiled things down to, I think, four themes, four or five strong themes that came out of that. And I should mention that we used the consolidated framework for implementation research um, to help us sort of categorize all of that output that we got from these uh, sessions. And that's just a framework that is recognized as helping people try to figure out barriers and facilitators to different types of implementation problems. So I, would, uh, I won't go over all of the things, but I think some of the key findings that we found was is that, one, that pharmacists, uh, these were mainly pharmacists. I think there were just a small handful of nurses that participated in this well. They're very protective of their patients. So they are ultimately concerned about their patient's safety. And I think that uh, maybe we've got a little bit of the overprotective parent syndrome going on here. But uh, I think one thing that we saw is, is that just cautious nature and wanting to keep patients safe sort of, I think, limits the provider's perceptions of who is actually potentially qualified to do patient self-management. So one of the themes was is that there are identifiable characteristics of people that providers feel are appropriate for patient self-management. And these tend to be relatively narrow and would probably constitute a relatively small proportion of all of the people taking warfarin within a given anticoagulation management practice. So that was one of the things. We found, surprisingly, a bit of a disconnect between these providers' knowledge of what PSM is actually about. And the reason why we found this interesting was is that if you look at the evidence-based guidelines, PSM is recommended above any other type of anticoagulation management system for warfarin. Usual care anticoagulation management services, even patient self-testing, patient self-management has the best data to support that it is probably the safer way in order to do warfarin therapy management. And yet, these uh, providers that were operating in anticoagulation forum centers of excellence had a lot of misconceptions about what patient self-management was all about. And some were said in during the interviews that they weren't even aware that this existed. They also felt like European patients are very different than U.S. patients, and there were a lot of other things that we identified there. So there's a fair amount of misconception about what patient self-management is all about. And then there was also some reticence to relinquish control and let patients do this. Providers really kind of felt like this was something that may be beyond patient's ability to do safely. And we heard things like, you know, I've, I've been doing this for many years and we're only able to achieve about 60% time in therapeutic range for most of our patients. You know, what's going to happen when we turn this over to patients to do this? And there were some fears about liability. And, you know, we were glad that people were honest with us, but there were also some concerns over, you know, people's identity as clinicians and just their livelihoods. It's like, hey, if we can turn this over to patients and they can do this, what does that mean for me as a, as a pharmacist? That's, you know, that's my job is that I take care of people who are on warfarin therapy. And then two other quick ones is that uh, 
home INR monitor access was really felt to be important, mainly because you need frequent feedback when you're doing this. And if you're only checking an INR once a month, that's probably not enough biofeedback that you're getting to help you learn really how to do a good job of adjusting warfarin doses. But asking patients to come into the clinic to get INRs on a weekly basis is probably not going to fly. And so uh, access to INR monitors was really felt to be an important facilitator, but it also becomes a big barrier just based on our current system for providing reimbursement for these monitors in the U.S. health system. And then finally, we found a fair amount of disagreement about what's the best way to train people to do this? Like if you buy into this and you want to do it, how's the best way to train? Should you like do classes? Should you have a video? Should you sit down one-on-one -on -one with people? What's the best way to do it? People had opinions about that, but there was really no consensus about the best way to do that. So those are some of the key themes that we found. So thanks, Dan. You do note in the paper that patient self-monitoring is widely accepted by providers and patients for those with type 1 diabetes receiving insulin therapy, even in children. Why do you think the attitude is different with warfarin self-monitoring? I love that question. I think it's a really good one. And part of it, I think, is just uh, even as long as warfarin has been around, this has been a niche that pharmacists especially have sort of carved out for themselves. And so I think that there's a lot of uh, pride in the way that people have taken this over and they, they really feel like that they're doing a good job on this. I also think, you know, I'm a pharmacist, so I think in terms of pharmacokinetics and other types of things, but I think with insulin and blood glucose monitoring, you may be getting four readings a day. You know, people are taking their blood glucose readings all the time. And then if they inject insulin, they're going to see pretty immediate results on that. You try translating that to a drug like warfarin, you know, with the 36-hour half-life and then clotting factors and all these other things, and you're probably only getting an INR, like we were just talking about, every week feels very frequent to people. You know, some people in clinic-based monitoring may be going 12 weeks in between INR tests. So I think that's another bit of a thing that we have to grapple with is just, you know, how frequently is optimal and what will companies pay for in terms of the strips if they're, you know, covering these strips and other things. So I think those are some of the limitations of why this hasn't caught on the way that self uh, blood glucose monitoring has. Good. Very interesting. What do you think are some of the other limitations of your findings that our listeners should be aware of? As I mentioned previously, these were all pharmacists and, and nurses that were employed by anticoagulation form centers of excellence. So certainly we're sort of sampling maybe a biased sample of people that are you know, have more knowledge about this sort of stuff than some other providers would be. And certainly, you know, a usual care provider. So a physician that's trying to manage their own warfarin may not be as familiar with that. I mean, some of the other limitations, just the way we conducted the focus groups, maybe if we had been talking to people in person and, and actually having verbal focus groups, that might have been another thing that was uh, a limit as well. Um, with qualitative research, you know, you sort of, you keep conducting the focus groups until you feel like you're hearing the same things over and over again. So that's called saturation. And 
we felt like that we reached that at some point in time. But again, if we had sampled different groups of people or maybe asked some different types of questions, maybe we would have found some different themes. So I think those are some limitations to be aware of. Excellent. Very good. Thank you. And then finally, to wrap up with our last question, how does your group plan to build on the findings from this project? What's next? Great question. So we, we did some similar qualitative work with patients, and I'm happy to say that that manuscript has also been accepted by JACCP, and uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about the findings from those, but really quite some interesting findings uh, comparatively to the providers, and I won't, I won't spoil all the results for that one, but we really saw some interesting things when we talked to patients rather than the providers. And then uh, based on that, we've, we've taken all these barriers and facilitators and we've developed some implementation tools. We have an implementation toolkit that includes some educational materials, some ways to pick people that are likely going to be successful with this, some uh, competency assessments. And right now we're actually recruiting patients to do PSM here within uh, the people that participated in these interviews at their centers. And uh, we're up to around 80 patients that we've recruited to a, hopefully to a sample of 150. And we've actually got some patients that have gone six months monitoring their own or managing their own warfarin therapy. So based on those results, then we're going to report the results of the you know, outcomes of that. Did their time and therapeutic range improve? Did it improve their quality of life? Did, you know, did they like the autonomy that they were given or, you know, did it make them really nervous? <laughs> You know, there's just stressing them out. So uh, that's where we're going from that. And then we hopefully will, from there, try to ramp up implementation of this within the U.S. healthcare system so more people can take advantage of this. Very interesting. A very interesting approach. Very interesting findings. And I think it's also a fascinating direction that you're taking this. And with reaching out to the, uh, the patients, we'll be, uh, we'll be interested in seeing the results from that. So Dr. Witt, we really appreciate your group's contribution to JACCP, and I want to thank you for taking the time to share your perspectives with us on the podcast today. My pleasure.